Hello, and welcome to this episode of Artists in Depth. I'm Alan Powell, and together with my co-host Bill Key, we talk with guest artists and explore links between their creativity and their identity. No matter your choice of expression, Artists in Depth provides an opportunity for the listener to ask the same questions of themselves that are being asked of our guests and to reflect on their own identity through the work they've created. And without further ado, let's get on with our podcast. This episode of Artists in Depth is sponsored by Equity Showcase in Toronto, Canada, embracing all artists by developing, uniting, advocating, and empowering the arts community. Visit equityshowcase.ca to discover all their initiatives. This episode is also sponsored by ACES, supporting actors in developing characters for trauma-based narratives, prioritizing creativity and well-being. Take your craft to a new level. Visit ACES for Actors and book a free, no-obligation consultation. Our guest today is Marcia Johnson. Marcia has been working as a theater artist for over 30 years. She's an actor, playwright, dramaturg, and librettist. She was born in Jamaica and lives in Toronto, Canada. Her award-winning play, Perfect on Paper, was commissioned for CBC Radio. Her other radio dramas include Wifely Duty, The Revival Meeting, and Say Ginger Ale. Her most recent play, Serving Elizabeth, was inspired by the Queen's visit to Kenya and what wasn't explored in the Netflix series, The Crown. The play had a COVID-secure production under a canopy at Stratford Festival in Canada, among other venues. Marcia's work as a playwright has been produced not only in Canada, but in the USA as well, and has drawn nominations and awards. Among her community involvements, she is a founding member of a mentorship program pairing mid-career female South African playwrights called CASA and is involved in Ergo Arts Pinkfest, a festival featuring the works of female, trans, and non-binary playwrights. She is also a member of Artists for Real Climate Action, finding creative ways to help combat the climate crisis. Marcia is the recipient of the 2022 Kale Chernin Woman of the Year Award. Our discussion focused on her process and voice as a playwright and the importance of being empathetic to all her characters and how they bring value to her personal development. Marcia, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be here. I guess where I'd like to start is um, the plays that you have written mm-hmm. and the characters you've developed for them, the themes that uh, exist in them, the connection between that and your own life. Can you talk a little bit about that? Huh. It's interesting. Um, a bunch of friends of mine, we get together once a month and we just read a different play, playing all the parts. And the latest one was Jitters by David French. And there's a playwright character in it. And he says, don't you get it? Every character in that play is me. You know, I just put myself into their situations and give them their certain background. And then that's how they they react in life. So even though there tends to be one character who's the most similar to me, they really are all just me trying to figure things out. Even if it's a person that represents a point of view that I'm completely opposed to, um, if I have empathy, I can imagine why they behave the way that they do instead of just making them the one note sinister villain. Right, right. I know I could answer that question in so many different ways, but that's the initial one that I... Okay. 
Tick. Can, can I add to that? You know, immediately when you said that, Marcia, I thought about the the um, some of the concepts of dream analysis that everyone mm -hmm. in a dream represents a part of you. Sure. I don't know if this is relevant or if it connects in any way, but, but quite often they say that you know if you any representation of someone else is usually represented by an, a, a creature, an animal or something else. But, mm. you know, if there are, if, you know, there are other people in a dream, actually, it's probably uh, what, what you most said most pointedly about this is different people trying to work something out. In the, any of these plays, were you working anything out yourself? Um, yeah, the first two plays, uh, You Look Great Too and Perfect on Paper were very obviously about me. The central character was a woman working through things in a relationship. And just in both those plays, I got to vent the things that I sort of didn't get to say or weren't received the way that I wanted them to be received um, in real life. Um, like they both ended up being comedies, but I got to have my say. And then I was forced to go into the mind of the exes. <laughs> You know, they're not cruel people. They're allowed to like not love me anymore, not want to be in a relationship anymore. But I just really had to delve into their behavior. And ironically, there is in the first play, You Look Great Too. And when we were doing a workshop of it, um, the actor friend of mine who we'd cast to play uh, the ex in my relationship, he was offended by a lot of what the guy said. And it was my first play and I had my first dramaturg and he said, you never have to justify, you know, actors can ask questions, but they can't tell you what to do. They can't say they like her. And he just broke all the rules and he singled out a line. He said, a man would never say that. And I just said, well, that is verbatim what my ex said to me. <laughs> verbatim. Wow. And it, it shut him up for a while, but I guess he thought I was representing all men. And like, why would you write a play about every, the common personality? Of course, you're going to write about someone who says or does things that are extreme, like, or extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Marcia, would you be okay to share what the line was? <laughs> it's going to sound like a backhanded compliment. But what I'd said to him was, so if you knew you didn't want to be with me anymore, why did you stay with me? And he said, because you were great in bed. And, you have, and, and the actor said, no man would ever no say that. No man would ever say that. So in the play, I actually slapped his face, which I was too shocked to do in real life. And as I left the room in my play, the guy said what I knew that my ex was saying in his heart was, but that's a compliment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> and both the men in the interview go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can understand how they meant, how they thought it was a compliment. Without that perspective of the woman. Yeah. We were just talking about this. So. Be well, he might as well have been saying, because it was all about me. Exactly. <laughs> I was deceiving you, but I was feeling good. Yeah. Good that you did. Good that you slapped him. I love that. Oh, it felt so good. <laughs> were you sorry? Can I can I be clear about something? When you said I in the play, were you in oh. the play? 
Uh, yes. So the the original actor that was he was in the workshop and somehow he didn't get cast when we did the play. Um, but I I wasn't in the workshop. My dramaturg said it's best to be stepping outside of it. Uh, so when we actually did the play, I got to do it. Ah, OK, great. Yeah. That must have been very cathartic experience to be in that play. It really was. <laughs> it really was. It, And I, I just feel like a lot of my writing, it's like the second play was much more fictional version of kind of relationship woes. And I got to have more fun with it, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I've said before, writing is like, going into a time machine, just going back and addressing those moments and, you know, fixing them, saying the things that you didn't get to say or do. And they might not always work out for the character, like, <laughs> um, but that's only because I'm in the moment and I'm going with it. And uh, in my early days, the character that was written for me, oh my God, she was just so perfect. She, just since she got all these monologues and you know so that's that's not very interesting or accurate so yeah were, I've gotten better <laughs> were you were you writing for yourself back then as opposed to now where you're just writing for something more than yourself I was writing for myself because I was frustrated that I wasn't even being considered for larger roles and I, I thought I know I can be a lead so writing was just meant to showcase me see, look, I can do it. And then I'd never have to write again. I, I wasn't really interested in becoming a playwright. I really loved being an actor. Um, and I learned really quickly that in a way, writers are more respected than actors because there are so many actors. <laughs> you can cast any show a hundred times over. There are a lot of good actors out in the world, but good writers are, are just people seemed to be more interested in it. And they would, they just say, oh yeah, you were great in the show, but keep writing, <laughs> you know, who wants to act when you can, I don't know. So it was interesting. So I kind of had this love hate relationship with writing for a while, um, but now I'm, I'm very happy to be both writer and actor and I get more work as a writer. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. So the if you took us through a bit of a, a journey from uh, the the first show, um, mm -hmm. and then into the second show, you said it was um... it was six years later. It it took a lot more. Like the first play just sort of spewed out of me and was just a half hour long, and we did it at the Rhubarb Festival, Buddies and Bad Times Theater in Toronto, um, and it just came out of me like a lot of the things in that relationship were like comedic when I wrote them down in dialogue form in dialogue and action um, and it was fun and so I thought okay I want to write my next play and nothing was coming to me and I thought oh is that what it has to be it has to be some really huge emotional thing that'll get you um, writing um, so I went and I studied with Natalie Goldberg in um, Taos New Mexico she wrote writing down the bones and um and uh, Wild Mind. And she's a Zen Buddhist originally from Brooklyn. And she just has a lot of um, parts of her belief into writing practice. 
So she believes that when you sit down and say, I'm going to write the great American novel or the best screenplay, you're setting yourself up for failure. It's like saying, I'm going to run a marathon and think you can do those 26 miles that first day. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said, writing is a practice. As long as you're writing every day, you're succeeding. And when that book is ready, when that play is ready, it'll come. And she was absolutely right. So I was just writing every day. And whenever I would try to force it and say, this is the play I'm going to write, it just wasn't there. And then um, just, I noticed there were some things that I was writing about every day, regardless of what subject I was going to write about. I kept going back to the same thing. And I thought, I think this is my second play. So that's how Perfect on Paper was born. It's about um, a black woman who held a secret as um, a romance novelist which she kept a secret because she was a staunch feminist who also wrote textbooks for women's studies and things like that. And it was just, I combined elements of the bodice ripping romance novel that she was writing along with a real life, um, uh, her life got saved by some guy when she was being attacked. And that was actually based on a friend of mine who uh, got really sick and some young guy swooped in and looked after her and cared for her and stuff and then when she got better and could care for herself it totally turned him off and he left her (laughs) and that made me so angry Uh, so just all those things were combined and it turned into perfect on paper which is my first full-length play and my second play ever nice wonderful wow so in writing that and completing it um getting it produced what seeing it staged were you in that as well yes i was I had two um, love interests. <laughs> um, coming out of that, so if we were to, because uh, I'm just thinking about how writing and journaling and reflecting and finding your voice and what I'm going to write about, mm-hmm. I'm, I want to apply that to the, to the play and the production of it and mm-hmm. reflecting on it after you've done it. Um, right where yeah where where did you land afterwards like what did you come away with have you come out the other side of it richer knowing more about yourself or did you already know it going in and you're just solidifying it please always learn more about myself and uh i think i come out as a better person or more understanding of some of the the things about me that drive me crazy uh you know so Writing's good. It's really good. The catharsis, even the stuff that doesn't make it to the stage, has its own value. Mm-hmm. You were saying earlier on that, you, on the advice of a of a colleague, someone you met, there was a period where, when you were between your first and second play where you were advised to just write. And you and so mm-hmm. were you writing dialogue or outlines or or stories? Uh, that was just stream of consciousness. Really? And every now and then dialogue would come out. Yeah. Um, but it's always easy to adapt something into play form. So I just like would have no um, expectation. I would just write for the sake of writing. And mm. I traveled for about five weeks after that workshop with Natalie Goldberg. Since she was in Taos, New Mexico, I just stayed around the Southwest. So I would be writing like at the Grand Canyon or next to the Golden Gate Bridge or, you know, in some desert. And it was maybe writing about mundane things, but then I would go through and skim them or reread things and think, wow, you were writing about 
you were at this majestic location and you were writing about this really mundane thing. So not all of it gets used, but I was just got into the practice of writing. I never had to sit down and go, hmm, what should I write about? Or where should I go? I would just be able to just jump in. Mm, yeah. I think there's something to be said about the, the, the practice of journaling and just it, it, the power it has to reflect, self-reflect. Um, and like you just said, you know, you look back on it and you go, oh, I was sitting at the Golden Gate Bridge or the Grand Canyon and I was writing about some mundane thing, mundane thing. But um, so it kind of says where you were at at the moment, right? Is that, mm -hmm. um, I, I find that amazing uh, to, to, to reflect back on um, and look for the com common themes. Yeah. In every entry. Yeah. Another thing that's uh, really helpful about all that time is, um, I can look back and see in detail how I was feeling about certain things that happened in the world. Like that's when Princess Diana died. That's when um, like just all these other really interesting things were going on. And I would be saying things like, oh, um, oh my friend's grandmother was crying over this woman <laughs> that she's never met the things. So like the things that I can write into detail, if I ever go back and write about that period in time, I can find that stuff to just have as, I don't know, bedrock or background. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, you bring in Princess Diana and how she came in to your, she, her death happened at a time when you were writing and that, and that reminds me about your play that, you know, that you wrote on the back of not seeing any uh, people of African origin in the crown. And, and so you wrote a play um following on from that it's actually worse than that it was in the episode of the crown when they went to kenya Direct, and the, the black people from. there were yeah. just in the background and were yeah. part of the story which is sort of missing the point of what was going on with colonialism at the time the stirrings of the mau mau uprising were happening then and it was a dangerous trip for her to take and so for the only to represent black people as people who adored her and looked after her. Don't get me wrong. There were people lined up waving flags and cheering for her and, you know, but that wasn't the whole story. And uh, I thought, if you're gonna go all the way there, how can you just have it be that? So yeah, that came from um, the same anger that I felt when my friend, the guy who, when she saw that she was fit and didn't need to be cared for anymore, wasn't interested. Mm. Um, that made me angry that they could just go there and and miss such an opportunity. You said earlier on that, that you, when you were looking for the impulse to write your second play, you were thinking, "Oh, is this? Do I need something emotional? Do I need something to be?" Mm -hmm. and, and but as you say, you know, the, the impulse for two of your pieces were were anger. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, the thing is, um, the plays that I wrote since then, it wasn't things that happened to me. Um, like, that's what I was thinking. Does, do I have to go through something in order to be able to, to write another play? But, um, but I think it's, it's not as much of a mystery anymore to find, to create characters and to tell a story. Mm. Like, you know, it's, I think it just comes with the doing. There's something about um, resonating uh, with issues that you resonated with the, that voice. 
the unheard voice. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're saying. When, when, that, when I heard you say, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, that the secret to writing, it's not such a mystery anymore because it's really more about resonating mm-hmm. with things and then acting on them. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And I, I think I also don't also, what I said earlier was about, you write about people that maybe do extreme things or do extraordinary things. I don't like people to, I know a lot of people assume things about this play when they hear that it's about, but I just, it was never interesting to me to write a play that says, well, white people are evil and black people are perfect. Everyone in the play is flawed. Everyone has reached where they've reached for reasons, maybe good reasons, or maybe things that they're used to, things that they think about or don't think about. And that's what's interesting to me is to just going into everyone's brain. And, and it's good if you, if each of those characters, just a facet of yourself, you take care, you take time, you don't just brush them aside. So even the character that I created who wrote the miniseries that was so tone deaf, I understand him because of the difficulties of becoming, of being a writer and trying to get things right. And, you know, maybe being defensive when someone points things out to you. I understand that. And I put that into his character. It's, you raise an interesting point about uh, being defensive uh, in char- characters. Um, do you write a build-in defenses for every character? Um, not consciously, but I'm sure that I do. Because people fight for themselves and what they believe in. You know, um, I was saying the other day, to, I was in some visiting a classroom, and I was saying, I realized that I don't, I don't write monologues. My plays don't tend to have them. And the main reason is because I don't know what everyone else's family was like or all the people they hang out with. But for me, it would be a very strange occurrence to be able to talk uninterrupted for two minutes or longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The people are like, so, and plus writing dialogue, people get to say everything they want to say. When they give up, it does that say something. When they say this, does it really mean this? You know, I find that way more interesting than having someone say everything they're feeling and get to have it mm-hmm. come out and the other person just listens. That's just like science fiction to me that that would happen. It's true. You come from, come from a neighborhood or a house or a whole that you can't you as soon you open your mouth you get four words out and all of a sudden you're cut off because no that's not what they you know it's like you don't have a right to say anything you don't have an opinion well i think what what we're talking about is the dynamic of there being two people in the room if there's one person in the room and you know from shakespeare's soliloquies to everything that's where you express the inner material Mm -hmm. um but if there was someone else in the room, then there wouldn't be the, the, the whole dynamic changes because you're trying to make them hear it. I, I have a question percolating in my head. Let's see if I can pull this push this one out. What kind of world would you want to have created around you? And have you been doing that through your plays? Well, I don't know. I just write plays that I would like to see. And even if there might be a political or cultural bent to it I really do want people to be entertained 
If on top of that, they leave the theater saying, I never thought of it that way, or I'm going to find out more about that event or person, that's a bonus. But I, I don't want people to feel like they're being lectured or that they were brought there under false pretenses or that anything is shoved down their throats. Um, the play that really helped me solidify that was this brilliant play called Ruined by Lynn Nottage. I saw it in New York and uh, four days before it won the Pulitzer. And it was about women in the Congo. So already, I mean, I'm on your side. And although women in the Congo, rape is an act of war in the Congo. And so I was nervous going in because, you know, so it's really hard that information to take in. And what she did was she respected the audience. Whenever there'd be this really horrible moment where a woman told her story or went through something, there was a beautiful monologue in that play, which deserves to be a monologue because it's someone who hasn't been using her voice and someone gives her the respect to tell her story. So that is an earned monologue. Um, but it was tough. And Lynn Nottage knew at that time, you got to bring in the comedy subplot right now. That love story that's going on between the brothel owner and the thing, this is tough because like, I needed time to recover. I needed time to breathe. So I learned from that play and how she dealt with the story to respect the audience. To, and a lot of times when you're researching something, you can get used to like the really graphic or horrible details or something, but I, it's just important to remember the first time you read about this incident that happened, how it landed on you, and to not be so casual about it when you're disseminating it into the play. I'm taking the short answer, and that is you want a respectful world where people are curious. I want people to use theater to the best of its capability. Now is theater at its best is something where you can get lost in a story while also learn something. When you let this thing out into the world, it becomes something else from what you had in your mind. So two actors are, as creatives are, are, they see the dialogue and then they turn it into something else from, mm -hmm. from what the picture was in your mind. How is that yeah. to see that? Well, it's interesting. Um, a lot of times the character that most represents me, I will see an actor have her be really cold. And meanwhile, that's not what the intention was, but I realized that the character is direct. Um, and direct doesn't always mean um, mean cold or harsh or something. So I've learned to adjust for that character so that they there's room to grow just because like, cause I, I grew up that way and I, passive aggressiveness is something that I just don't understand. Um, and that's considered polite. I wonder if I could just dig a little bit deeper into that because you're describing writing characters that are, that, that, that are the closest to you. Mm -hmm. um, and in, I think in your earliest example actually kind of was you and mm -hmm. yet, and, and so if someone sees the dialogue and then performs 
the dialogue in a way that you feel is distant from yourself. I wonder if you ever feel like there's a bridge that you didn't see, like the, the dialogue has come out and then and that person um, adapts it in a way. And, and could it be that that way they've adapted it is something about yourself that you didn't know? Does that make sense? Um, I think it's in a way that, oh, that's why people assume that about me. Mm, isn't that interesting? Ah, you know, like, oh, that's interesting. People, I've had this misunderstanding before. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, similar, <laughs> wonderful point, though. Wonderful point. It's almost like therapy out there. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, similarly, or along those same lines, I was thinking about while you were talking about uh, you created the play, you had an intention for it, and hopefully with luck and the right director, you, you get it out in the right actors, you get it said, it's stated the way you want it stated. It's beautiful. Then it goes to other companies and other actors. It becomes, the play becomes a vessel for their communication, for their expression. And though it may not be in your world and what you agree with, it's what's suitable for them and where they're at in their journeys. Can you speak to that? Hmm. What I feel proud of is that a lot of the plays that I'm writing not only are giving work to Black actors, um, it's showing the broad range of Blackness. Um, and I'm proud of that. <laughs> and, and that they get to be the leads, that the story gets to be about them. And that it isn't always about the three subjects that if you're a Black actor, you get to be part of. <laughs> so you're okay then with others' interpretations uh, of your work um, because it's their voice. Yes, but they also have to honor the playwright. Like I know that there are um, directors who feel that once they've been given the play, they cut the playwright off directly, but they can get it wrong. And if the playwright is living and there's any confusion, I think it's up to them to ask rather than put their grubby fingerprints all over it. You can still have a unique show and a different show, but if you change the meaning, if you change the meaning of the play, you failed as a director. I agree with you. Thank you very much, Marcia, for your time. And thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Um, it was, yeah, an inspirational conversation. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you gave me a lot to think about. <laughs> If you've been inspired or moved by what you've heard on today's podcast, I invite you to visit our website, artistsindepth.com. There you can sign up for podcast reminders, get in touch with us through email, or connect with other like-minded artists by sharing your thoughts on our blog and joining our community and finding out more about our initiatives. It's free and it's rewarding. Until next time. This episode of Artists in Depth is sponsored by Equity Showcase in Toronto, Canada, embracing all artists by developing, uniting, advocating, and empowering the arts community. Visit equityshowcase.ca to discover all their initiatives.
This episode is also sponsored by ACES, supporting actors in developing characters for trauma-based narratives, prioritizing creativity and well-being. Take your craft to a new level. Visit ACES for Actors and book a free, no-obligation consultation.